0: these days so many podcast hosts just riff through unprepared segments until they get to the next ad break for pills they know nothing about cheap razors and whatever else they can get a buck from but the higher side chats does it differently we succeed or fail on the quality of the content and your desire to hear more of it So you're about to hear another free first hour episode that's here to prove the two hour shows are worth subscribing for. Five shows a month for just $8. Members get a mobile friendly website, a decade of archives, a dedicated RSS feed for the best podcast apps, and a lot deeper discussion than a single hour can allow for. Sponsor free with more for thee. Get a free seven day trial of THC Plus at the Enjoy!
1: It's the end of the world as we know it, but I feel fine. From sunny San Diego, I'm Greg Carlwood. And as mundane as the world can seem between the daily grind and the nightly news, there are many people out there with stories of encounters, sightings, and experiences that defy logic. From cryptids like Dogman, winged humanoids, Bigfoot, and lake monsters, to strange creatures and crafts, scary visitations at night, and even experimental, entheogenic, or magical experiences that end up blowing the doors right off this reality. And despite the dismissive argument that these are all attention seekers making up tales of fantasy or exaggerating cases of misidentification, these are not actually the stories people put in their Tinder profiles or use to make friends at their first day on the job. The real deal is that the ridicule factor keeps many of these tales from being told until the conditions are just right, if they ever are. Well, today's guest knows this all too well as he is the great Tony Markle of the Confessionals, podcasting's number one paranormal safe space where he gives regular folks the airtime to talk about these life-changing events that they often haven't really told anyone. Maybe it's stuff they've held on to since childhood or things they saw on their stint in the military or on that hunting trip that got them a little too far off the beaten path. Tony has also just stepped out from behind the mic and actually has gone out into the field to follow up on a particular tale of a violent dogman encounter in his new documentary, Expedition Dogman. You can find it all at theconfessionalspodcast.com or his ever expanding digital media company, Merkel.media. And this is going to be a wild ride from truck driver to paranormal podcaster and coyote urine clad dogman documentarian, the captain of the SS Confessionals and Merkel media mogul, Tony Merkel. Welcome to the higher side.
2: Wow. I haven't had an introduction like that ever. I love it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's all part of the job. Just the old nine to five, but. This is going to be a lot of fun. Really happy to have you here. The geopolitics and conspiracy stuff has gotten pretty heavy lately, and it's nice to drift back into the paranormal with you. I think the confessionals is a really great theme for a podcast. My car has this big, crazy higher side chats wrap on it. and Ever since I did that, I do get people stopping me in grocery store parking lots to talk about what their grandpa's brother saw 40 years ago. Or if I'm asked what I do, they often come back with some sort of story through the family grapevine. One time I was parked at the beach with some buddies and a guy ran back to his houseboat to get his phone to come back and show us some balls of light he captured over the ocean one night. So that's why I like your show so much. I'm in kind of a unique position, but I put myself in this position to get these kind of confirmations that so many people have seen something or they know a trusted family member who saw something. And it's not as rare as it might seem. So to put these stories out there in a podcast, it's pretty awesome, man.
2: I appreciate it, man. That's that's the whole goal. I mean, we live in a very bizarre world, to put it simply. And I think it's much more complicated. Our existence is much more complicated than we've been told and taught traditionally. And you learn that, I think, the best through not scholars or scientific research papers written and stuff like that, but actually people who experience really unexplainable things in their personal life. And they just, like you said, they just don't talk about it because who are you going to talk to about this? Like most people, I don't care how old you are, you don't want to be laughed at at work. I went through that as a truck driver, just saying, "Hey, I'm going to start a paranormal podcast." And they're like, "Hey, wh- what are you going to talk about? Bigfoot and ghosts and aliens and deductions and things like that." And they're just like, "I was a butt of all jokes for a long time until I was successful at it." But it's that kind of environment people fear. Everybody fears that kind of stuff, especially if you don't need to come forward and share the experience. It's like it's, it's not a necessity. And so when you present a platform for everyday normal people to come forward and share their experiences, it's a unique thing and it took some time for, I think, people to find the show, listen to the show, trust the host, because that's a big thing, trust. But over the years, I've seen more and more people say, I'm ready to talk now. I've listened to your show for six months, a year, two years, and I'm ready to talk to you because I know you're not going to judge me. And that's the thing. I, I don't pretend to know everything. I don't think I know a ton, actually, to be honest with you. I have my, my root foundational beliefs that I kind of live my life by, but I don't think that that's set in stone and I just don't pretend to know it all. So when somebody comes and says something to me, that's like off the wall, they're like, you're never going to believe this. I'm like, well, actually just try me because I've heard a lot, you know? <laughs> so <laughs>
1: yeah, it is so wild. Like these little things come up, like a guy I used to work with at GameStop, his brother was a pilot. And I asked him if he'd ever seen anything weird. And he's like, yes, absolutely. He said, I would even venture to say that You can't be a pilot without having seen something up there, but nobody's going to say anything because you go right to a psych evaluation and it's just your job, man. It's your paycheck. Nobody wants to be on the radar with their boss or their boss's boss. So you see something weird, you don't say anything about it, and you just put it on the back burner. And... I even fell into the trap that a lot of people fall into when they do podcasts or host a paranormal radio show. I started this show saying that I've never really seen anything, and that wasn't really true. I did see something when I was like in kindergarten, and it was just so brief that even I kind of put it in the background and was like, well, yeah, that happened, but it's not as epic as these other stories. You know, I'm interviewing people who've had lifetimes of weird stuff, and I would say on the air all the time, man, I wish I saw something like that. And it's easy to forget you did see something like that. And what I saw wasn't a Bigfoot. It was probably closest to a dog man. I say Skinwalker sometimes because it's like this weird animal, human-like thing. But it's why cryptids have always been in the THC soup. Some people really love those shows. Some people are like, I'd rather you talk about serious matters. And it's like, well, this is part of my DNA because... I'm just connected to this world that I, I know things are out there. So like, I'm not put off by hearing really weird stories. And I think these things shapeshift and they're kind of multidimensional and we'll get into all that. But man, for the uninitiated, can you give people a little bit of an overview of the range of things that these eyewitnesses talk about? I've heard about imps piling out of closets, after effects of messing with Ouija boards cryptids, of course, stories of people who seem to grow up in houses that are portal places. It gets pretty weird. Talk to us about the, the what's the, the confessionals overview? Anything outside
2: of what you've been told is normal. I'm a sucker for a good story, you know? And so I say I have a paranormal show and I don't know how other people define that. But for me, it's just anything outside the normal. So I include the cryptids, the Bigfoot dogman, but we talk about ghouls and ghosts, haunted houses, alien abductions and detailed stories from that kind of stuff, down to like even side stories that aren't really like you've never heard of before. I mean, I did a an episode, it was a while ago. It was a guy, I believe he was in Oregon, and he talked about coming across this property out in the middle of nowhere one day, and inside this house, the furniture was on the ceiling of the house. And so him and his buddies go back to look at it one night. Long story short, they wound up getting chased out of there. They thought by somebody in a car, which was very bizarre because it seemed like the car just disappeared. But he said there was two upright running deer next to their car, escorting them out. He said it was the most bizarre, weird thing. He's like, who's ever talked about Upright walking deers, let alone running after you. So, like, there's that kind of stuff, but even down to hauntings of churches, that has been something that's been popping up throughout the existence of the show. And at first glance, you're like, really, a church haunted? But then you start thinking about the spirit, like a Christian church, at least I come from a Christian background, think about the Christian side of the theological aspect, where it's like, well, yeah, I mean, you would think that if there's a bunch of Christians gathering to worship their God, you would think that there would be some kind of spiritual warfare going on there, something like that in the background. And I remember this one guy talked about how he had these different experiences in his church. And then one Sunday, he went into the bathroom, I guess it was like two stalls. And there was a young boy in the stall next to him, like a teenage kid, but he was like mentally handicapped. And you would think he was talking to himself, only it wasn't his voice. And then you hear him saying, no, no, no. And then this voice speaking to him, it was like, he was having a conversation here, but there was only one pair of shoes underneath the stall. Hmm. And then this guy said, he started praying in his head, not even out loud, like rebuking in the name of Jesus. And the deep demonic sounding voice was just like responded to his prayer saying, no. And it's just like bone chilling for him and People are like, what the heck? But I mean, we talk about everything. Underground Reptilians, we had a show on where we talked about the Underground Reptilians. I mean, I literally will talk about anything, like anything, (laughs) if it's off the beaten path, because I just love it.
1: Fair. You know, I was actually going to bring up the Underground Reptilians. How could I not? It is a very important spot on the Higher Side Chats bingo card. And that is episode 325. And you say on this episode, we speak with Brian who describes growing up near a place in Michigan where reptilians lived underground with other creatures. Brian and I first connected when he left a comment on theconfessionalspodcast.com about his experiences helping to deprogram satanic, ritually abused people. I was interested in bringing him on the show to pick his brain about the process of deprogramming and SRA cases, but as we communicated, he asked me if I would also like to hear about his reptilian stories. Of course I said yes. As children, Brian and his brother would play with other kids around an area called Witch's Hollow. One day, Brian's brother stumbled upon an opening in the ground that had a dismembered head in the entrance. After contemplating what he saw, his brother decided to return to the location to get another look. And when he did, he was met by a reptilian who was manning the entrance. That was the first of many ongoing interactions he had with these creatures. And Brian shares his encounters with us. Well yeah, that's pretty wild. Do you remember, like, what are the, what, what were these reptilians like? Were they humanoid? And did they communicate in any kind of way?
2: Yeah, they did. And just side note, when you, I heard you reading that, I was thinking to myself, man, I'm really glad my wife edits my initial descriptions. because <laughs> <laughs> She's the writer here and stuff. And I just kind of write things down and she edits it and makes it sound nice. So Brian and his brother, this is, an interesting story that might be resurfacing down the road here with some other projects I'm doing. Because I I stumbled across a story recently that is really groundbreaking when it comes to our existence, what this all is, what can we do as human beings? What is the paranormal? Are there other worlds that we can access? I mean, I'm working on a story that is just, it's crazy. And, And Brian's story might, a little bit, a little piece of it might work in conjunction with it. Because It's this idea of portals into other worlds. And at the time of recording the interview with Brian, I didn't really think of it this way. I thought of it more of a physical location, which it was. There's like this tree with a hole in the ground, and it was like the entrance to this other world, really. Brian talked about, I guess, his brother having experiences not just with reptilians, but witches, and there's these battles that would happen. And apparently the reptilians, according to what he was told, they were good. And I was like, well, that's not what I heard a lot of, you know, but then you start thinking about, you know, what are motives? I mean, so I think a lot of times people, they take stories at face value and they're like, well, that can't be true because I heard over here on this story, the exact opposite. And that's the first one I heard. So what you just said can't be true. Mm -hmm. And I try to step away from that kind of stuff because I don't know what is true to begin with. I don't know what this reality is. But then you start thinking about like on our side of things, as human beings, we can sit here and say one thing to our wife and then turn around to our friends, say another thing that's the exact opposite because one person or the other, whether it's the wife or the friend, we're trying to convey a message to that we didn't want to convey to the other person. And it's called lying. And so, (laughs) you know, it makes me wonder, you know, with the reptilians and stuff, you know, could there be another motive? It's like, okay, well, I'm going to be a peaceful, loving thing to this person because I want them to do a certain thing or whatever. But yeah, he had this ongoing experience and there was like this underground war and he, and he actually was told that there was at one point a present, I think there was some kind of witch or something and this reptilian wound up killing it. And you start thinking about in just rational terms, I think this happened in Michigan and you start thinking like, really, really? But then I start thinking about like, I don't know what all this is, but I do for me personally, I do believe that there are other dimensions. I do believe that there's other realities. And if there's other things in those realities, can they poke through? And I do. I believe that they can poke through. And that might present a whole other thing where at a certain geographical location in this realm, something is experienced by somebody or groups to people that at a later date is impossible because it no longer is in existence. Whereas in this story, that's the case. Like It was just gone. At some point, it was just gone. I remember, I think he said the hole was gone or maybe the tree. I can't remember exactly what it was, but like it was literally impossible, physically impossible to access what was being accessed because it was just gone. And so was that like a portal that was presenting itself in a very physical way here in this realm? I don't know. But Brian's story is a very complex story. And... I think it has more layers than what we can even fathom right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that kind of goes into this whole other stuff that I'm working on. Man, I'm telling you, side note, we can get this later, I guess. But in two weeks from the time of this recording, I'm heading to Utah to film another documentary. And when I get back, my goal is to start up this whole new story and start bringing people in studio to really start recording and making. It's going to be like a seasonal kind of thing, but it I think is going to be groundbreaking when it drops. And I think Brian's story is going to be popping up here and there with that.
1: Mm. Utah. I assume you're
2: going to Skinwalker? I never heard of Skinwalker. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I can't go to Skinwalker Ranch because it's privately owned. I can't in my documentary say Skinwalker Ranch or else I'll get sued. So Weird. yeah, what we're doing is we have access to a property that butts up against Skinwalker Ranch and we're going to be setting up base camp there. But our gist of this documentary is going to be what happens in the area around Skinwalker Ranch, the name that shall not be named, because it's not just the ranch. And that's the common misperception here that people hear Skinwalker Ranch and they think, oh, the ranch has all this bizarre. No, it's not. The ranch became popular through experiences, but these experiences happen on the outside of the ranch too. And there's a lot of people in that area that are claiming bizarre things. And so we're going to go with a a more broad perspective. And we're also going to tackle where did this all come from? What's the history behind it? And we're going to talk to natives and locals that have had experiences. And it's going to be really, really cool when it's all said and done and something that people haven't seen before when it comes to that area.
1: Nice. I assume you're talking about Ryan Patrick Burns, who I've had on before. My man. Who owns that land. And he feeds me good guests once in a while. But On the subject of skinwalkers, I just recorded an interview that has not aired yet with Dr. Gregory Little. I've become a big fan of him. This is like our third interview. But he just released a new book with Andrew Collins called Origins of the Gods, Hewsome Cave, Skinwalkers, and Contact with Transdimensional Intelligences. And they talk a lot about what they think is the mechanism behind these paranormal experiences. And it seems to be plasma. And there's been discoveries in the last ten years in the lab on plasmas that seem to show they exhibit intelligence, they can breed, they can split apart, and even evolutionary traits show where weak ones will disassemble, and stronger lattices will progress on, and then they'll break apart and there seems to be like will and intentionality behind these plasmas, and there are also natural plasmas and Andrew Collins, in a different interview I listened to, he was asked about Skinwalker Ranch and what he thinks that is. It's like, oh, are there just plasmas floating around? And his take was that there is like a blanket of one entity that covers the area, and then you see aspects of it or it interacts with people. And it's really wild. But what I like about their book is they talk about Native American shamanism, and there are indigenous cultures that can call in spirits or beings or whatever and when people have these encounters they're very often i saw this being of light and then it turned solid well their perspective is these plasmas emerge and they're glowing and then they suck up the electrons and the particles from things around them that's why there's such an overlap with these sightings and caves or disrupted dirt in the case of the story we just talked about because a lot of dirt and dust, it makes it easy for the, them to suck up particles to appear solid. And we're talking about basically like sentient, intelligent plasma life that we do not know any fucking thing about. And it's just really provocative to me. I also interviewed, you know, I feel like I'm on your show doing all this talking. I don't usually do this. But <laughs> no, it's fine. Eric Dollard was a guy I interviewed who's kind of like a Tesla type archetype scientist. And... He did experiments in the lab with exotic plasmas and he captured a little light man, like maybe the size of a beer bottle. He said it moved around and he he didn't really want to get too into it because he's like, look, that's very weird, and anything I say about it is gonna discredit my other work because I'm trying to be a serious scientist here, but that was weird. It was like he manifested a spirit. So I'm in this page where I think plasmas have something to do with it, and I like the the keel, valet. Youngian perspective that so many of these encounters, there's interplay with the mind. So like Valet used to say that you're not looking at the thing itself, you're looking at a projection. Well, a lot of these guys, I mean, all of them talked about this stuff in the 80s or earlier. We know way more about plasmas now. So when they say it's something electromagnetic or it's a projection, it's like, I think what you were trying to get at. It's something with plasma and there is an interaction with the mind. So what you expect to see is kind of what you get. And that's why I think there's so much variance. You talked about the reptilians like, oh, well, they're supposed to be bad. Well, it's kind of a snap judgment in your brain. You see something or it reads your brain or something. And it's like it pulls an image out of your subconscious reptilian. Maybe you don't have a strong religious background, so you're not going to see Mary this time. So you see a reptilian and then maybe you're not in a fear state, so it doesn't appear bad. it gets weird, but I mean that's that's how I account for the variance in all of this stuff is that we are looking at something that shape shifts and it takes an image from your own mind and it preys on your fear or it or it acts as if it can when you're not afraid, but I think it's a weird, reciprocal subconscious relationship, maybe with plasma. <laughs>
2: That's really interesting. That's really interesting. I, it, we were talking about the light man. It reminded me of a guy I had interviewed and he does scrying. And during the COVID lockdown crap, he was at home and he, had not, he was bored and he started scrying using his like, tea cup and his coffee and started taking like these videos and pictures as he was stirring it. And he was pulling in some very extremely vivid and clear pictures and images. And some of them looked like grays it was very, very interesting. And it all started during the lockdown because he was just bored and he's like, Oh, let me try this. (laughs) So, (laughs) uh, But it just reminded me of that. I don't know why, but there you go.
1: Yeah. Well, I would just say if you're going out there, definitely take a look at Origins of the Gods because I think it presents uh, a new case and it's always good to have like the most cutting edge or most unique perspective going into making a documentary about a weird place that a lot of people have speculated about. But it is a wild one. And coming back to episodes you've done, there was one I really liked called Secret Military Enochian Technology with this guy Uh. named Charlie, who apparently was sent out on a recovery operation for a downed craft when he was in the military. And then they got to this weird all-black, short-winged, plain-like craft. And one of the screens, when they got inside it, had weird characters on it. And he was searching through his field manual of languages. And his colleagues said, you won't find it in there. That's Anakian. That's an ancient demon language. And they do see some weird figures at night. They hear shooting. They see the equipment and remnants of another team. I'm glossing over a lot, but The weirdest part is when they get back to base, and people should listen to this because he talks about it in two hours, but he expects a debriefing session, but his commanding officer starts describing a rescue mission at the same location, and nobody else remembers they were just there, and he's thinking, whoa, are we being sent on a rescue mission for ourselves? And it was a weird time loop, and right there with portals, time loops, I mean they're basically the portals of, uh, you know, of time. And then we have portals of space, but that is a really crazy story. Seemed like it could have been a really great twilight zone episode, but wow, man, that's a, that's a great one. That's one that I would assume that's one of your, uh, most unique episodes.
2: It's the all time episode. (laughs) It, when I dropped that episode, so Charlie, he reached out to me and that's not his real name. He didn't want to disclose his real name. And, We can go into what happened after this interview aired, but he contacted me, tells me this story in the email and man, listen, when when, every time I get somebody that wants to share with me a bizarre, weird experience they had while they were serving in the military, I am down for that. Yes. And he contacted me. I'm like, yes. And I put him right in the front of the line. Like, when do you want to interview yesterday? Like, let's do this, you know? And we scheduled a time a few weeks later and he wound up backing out. He got cold feet. And I said, okay, just let me know if you ever change your mind. Months later, he contacted me again. He's like, okay, I think we can do this. And we spent probably like an hour talking before we even started the interview, just kind of, well, maybe, I don't know if you experienced this with the caliber of guests you have on the show, but with mine, they're not really used to talking publicly. And so mm-hmm. sometimes they're very nervous and you got to kind of warm them up and just get them to relax. And, and you, Hey, you're just talking to me kind of thing. And we started recording. I had no idea how deep that story was going to go. I'd found myself sitting there. Like my brain went somewhere else while he was talking. I was consuming what his story was, almost like an audience member. And then my brain was just putting puzzle pieces together as he was going along and and piecing things together, trying to rationalize certain things. And I do that sometimes with these complex stories that I get sometimes on the show. You know, sometimes you get, you know, hey, I lived in a haunted house, here's some stories. And then sometimes you get one story that takes two hours to tell. And those are very complex. And when that happens, I tend to, naturally just starting to try to piece things together and try to make sense of what they experienced. Because a lot of times people, they want to share their story because of that. Can you help me make sense of this kind of thing? And I remember presenting certain things to him during that interview that just kind of put him back in his seat. And he's like, wow, I never thought of it that way. In fact, I think if I remember correctly, the part where you mentioned where he was being sent out onto a reconnaissance mission to get people, I think I presented the idea that could it be with all this weird stuff happening that there was some kind of time loop where you were being sent out to yourself? And I, I just remember having him like go, wow, I never thought of it that way. That interview spawned a, a relationship, a friendship with me and him. And him and I talked probably at least once a month. And let's put it this way. He served his time in the military. When he got out, this experience changed his life. He left the country because he didn't feel comfortable staying in our country any longer. He lives in another country to this day. And he works in intelligence to this day as well. Like he has access to technology that you and I don't have access to. So like every once in a while, I need a little favor. (laughs) And and, uh, like one time I was trying to track somebody down and I was like, listen, man, this person's a ghost. I have their name. That's it. And he came back with two home addresses. He's like, you can mail them. (laughs) I'm like, How do I explain how I got their mailing address, Mm you know? So his experience going into the woods, I don't know. He won't tell me where this happened at, but the experience of going into the woods to recover technology off this downed aircraft. He said when he, when they approached this downed aircraft after, I think it was like a day or two of hiking into this location, then he said this thing looked like nothing he's ever seen before. Like the outside had like this checkered board look to it and wherever they were, it was hot. And he said, when you touched it, though, it was cold to the touch. And when they got in, and and the different language, and this is where I still don't know what he experienced and what he encountered because on the show he said that he was told the language was Anokian, and he wasn't sure about it. He was just, he had never heard of it before. And I, at the time of interviewing him, now this was episode 122 years ago. I hadn't heard of Anokian. Most of my education with a lot of this stuff it comes through talking to people with their experiences. I, I don't. That's just how I, I developed. And I was a truck driver when I first started this. I didn't have a lot of time to do any reading. I just listened to podcasts. And so when he said that, I was like, do you mean Enochian? And to this day, I'm not sure if he meant Enochian or Enochian. I think it's uh, pronounced like,
1: both ways, like Crowley and Crowley. Okay. So
2: I wasn't sure, but when I went looking for Enochian language, it was like this whole language of the angels and and all this stuff. I was like, whoa, mm-hmm. my, like my brain kind of popped. And That interview was a huge learning experience for me where I learned so much. I gained a new friend, which was cool, and he shared a legendary story of how our government, their troops, specialized. Like he was part of a specialized group. I mean, he was his specialty was technology. There's other people who were there for safety purposes. There were other people who were scientists from different universities that he's gone on missions with before. And they go in for the knowledge of the experience and stuff. Like, This was like a super classified, off the books kind of thing that he did. And when you hear somebody talking about this kind of stuff and putting it, the story, it gives you an image. Like we all had these assumptions. We heard this, we heard that. But then you hear a story of somebody who's like, yeah, I've been through something like that. Let me tell you what it was, what I experienced. And so we changed his name on that interview because for safety purposes. So, you know, Echo, Bravo, Charlie. There you go, Charlie. was? And so the interview airs, and this was years ago. It went viral. In the first week, I had almost 100,000 downloads, and I was like, Holy crap! Like, I was like, Yo, Tony, you have a ride. And the next week, they went right back to normal numbers. I'm like, Oh, dang. But it goes viral. And then him and I are talking like a month or two later, and he's like, Hey, some things have happened recently since the interview aired. And I was like, Okay, what? And he's like, eh, Don't feel like I'm comfortable talking about it. And I was like, okay, I mean, do you want to talk about it off air? And he's like, no, that's what I mean. I, I don't think I feel comfortable talking about it. And I was like, okay. And then I think it was like a year or two later, him and I are talking and he comes forward and tells me, hey, I'll talk, but for my safety purposes, can you just make it a member? Because I had membership on the website at that time. Can you make it a membership privacy thing that kind of locked it down for me? I was like, yeah, I, I guess. I mean, I don't think it makes anything safe for you. I, I mean, <laughs> if they want it,
1: they're going to get it. Yeah, the military has got seven bucks.
2: Yeah, they got seven bucks, man. But (laughs) I was like, hey, man, if you want to talk, cool, let's do it. And so we talked and long story short, the country he's living in and he's working in the tech field and all that stuff. And he still goes out on certain, let's just call it missions or whatever. He was approached at his home by the police. And they said that they need him to come down to the station at a certain day and time because they need to have a conversation with him, And he's like, what's this about? And they said, we don't know. And turns out that our government military was the ones that he was meeting there. He got a lawyer and he told the lawyer kind of what's going on. And because he brought the lawyer though, they couldn't really discuss in detail, but basically they wanted assurances from him. Now this is very random. If it wasn't for him appearing on my show recently, he would be in the complete dark as to why they're picking him out. But they wanted basically assurances from him that he's not looking to harm the United States government with any kind of information that could be harmful. And, uh, so even though he used the fake name and everything, they knew exactly who he was. And then he also talked about his experiences where he works, where he believed that maybe somebody that was new working with him might've been placed there to monitor him because the person was, Getting a little nosy because he's kind of a private guy and the guy's like budding up with him. And then, you know, hey, let's get together after work. Where do you live? You know, can I come over to the house? We should hang out and asking questions about his background and things that just didn't seem quite right. And when we talked about on the show, he had suspicions about that. That situation kind of like simmered down a little bit last time I talked to him. But the story is a big time military glitch kind of story within the story of the down craft and what he experienced it's multi-layered. And I just recently got access and I'm trying to get them on the show. Two different guys in the military who shared, who have a story similar along the lines of a glitch experience and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to get them on the show if possible, but it's hard. I mean, it's hard for military guys to come forward, talk about this stuff. And then on top of it, I'm not military. I've never been in the military. I don't know the lingo. It's like, why would I want to talk to you? Why should I talk to you? All that kind of stuff. I'm not part of the brotherhood. And I think that's a big deal. So we'll see what happens and stuff. But yeah, that was episode 122. And then I re-released it. So when I did the second interview that was supposed to be members only, which it is, I re-released the original interview that Tuesday for prepping for everybody for the membership only show on that Thursday. And that re-release is episode 351, which I just did a little tweaking with the audio because my... Production skill got a little better, so I took the old audio and cleaned it a little better and stuff, just so it's a little better quality. So if you want to check it out, I would suggest 351, so you get a little bit better audio quality than the original.
1: Right on, right on. Yeah, it's one of my favorite stories from your show, and doesn't it just suck when you have something really juicy you want to share with people and you just have to put it behind the paywall? I mean... Sucks. It's the way it goes.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I, I mean, so when january 6th happened Uh-oh. uh so i'm a i'm not gonna go too far so <laughs> want, I, we're not gonna get you taken but i'm a dystopian futurist okay so i read tea leaves as best i can and my projection is we're all doomed like i'm not i'm not the life of a party okay you don't want to bring me to a party because <laughs> don't get me talking kind of thing so around that time though i was reading the tea leaves i'm like uh things are not looking good on my front when it comes to my content because so i i dabbled in conspiracy because I, I i love talking about that kind of stuff but i was thinking eh, maybe we stick with the paranormal for a while so what i did was my <laughs> my public shows for the most part since then have been mostly paranormal like i'll touch on conspiratorial generalizations like oh you want to talk about men in black cool everybody does you know if it's on youtube we're good but anything that might be kind of sticky. Like I've done interviews with people who have been through MK ultra, the satanic ritual abuse and, Mm -hmm. and the conspiracy behind that. Like people recalling their memories, like the one woman cat in the middle of the interview, she's talking to me about all these experiences. And I'm like, have you ever heard of MK ultra? And she's like, uh, no. And and I kind of described it to her. She's like, okay. And I'm like, I think you might've been part of that programming. And I broke that to her on the interview and she just kind of like melted. She's like, can I get five minutes? She hung up with me. And we had to reconnect later and stuff because it kind of took her for a whirlwind. But because of that, it allowed her to explore thought on why her life and her childhood was the way it was and her memories. And she's been piecing things together. So that kind of stuff was getting thrown behind the paywall because I was just like, "Yo, if I put this up on Apple, it might put a target on me that I don't want." So uh, we just kind of we put the more sensitive stuff behind the paywall, but a lot of something you hear on Tuesdays is there on Thursdays as well. But like if it's deep conspiracy that could get unwanted attention, I just keep that a little more private.
1: <laughs> I get it. And that story parallels the story I have so well. In LA, sometimes they have these events at restaurants where you can smoke weed and eat a meal. And you know, I try to grab every one of those I can. Yeah. So me and a couple of buddies and my wife went up to one and this older woman sat with us. And we were just bullshitting. And she starts talking about some of the abuse that she went through. And, you know, she came out to Hollywood young and, you know, doughy-eyed and naive. And she got kind of put through the meat grinder, no pun intended. And she said the word institutional, like it seemed like it was structured. And I said, have you ever heard of MKUltra? And she burst into hysterical tears as if I said, like a trigger word that was implanted in her. And I'm with people who do not know about this stuff. I mean, my wife does, but my buddies, they don't care. And they don't care what I do for work. It's like any other job. And this reaction, they're all like, what the fuck did you do? Dude, you broke this woman. And I'm like, look, I just, that's what it's called. <laughs> and it was just so weird. she She was like, basically was like, yes, I have to go. And she goes, you might have unlocked so much for me. I'm going to go research this. And it was very strange. And it made me think ever since then, never have I talked about this story because it was such just a small, like kind of impassing thing. But it made me think that maybe some, they are encoded to be like, if you ever hear this, like you're going to break down. It is, it's strange. But when you talk to MKUltra victims, they do have triggers implanted in them. Some say that the triggers are always there. And then if someone who's in the big club knows that you were put through this programming and they want to get their rocks off, they pull you aside. They say the magic words and you go into uh zombie mode and you just let them have their way with you. And it's sick, but that's the process, the mechanisms that I've heard before. And just to hear a story like that, that's so damn similar. It's wild, really wild.
2: Yeah. I'm telling you, man. Like I interviewed her twice for the members. We're gonna do a third one. We're actually gonna do an MK Ultra roundtable where I I have people that have been on the show, that are victims of it, and we're gonna all sit down and compare notes. What was your experience? What do you think about this? Okay, so Kat said this. Holly, what do you think about that? You know, is that your similar experience? Was your ex- different? And just kind of hash it out. So, but the second interview I did with Cat, she talked about some more details of her childhood. And one thing is for sure, I'm fairly certain her mom was deeply involved in some kind of like satanic cult. And she has a friend that she's still friends with today that went through similar experiences with her parents. And it seems like this was an underground kind of thing. But Kat was pretty much, without seeing the exchange of money, sold to a man by her mom as a teenager with a baby. And she had to go live with this guy in New York And she basically didn't fulfill what he wanted out of whatever Kat was supposed to provide. And he basically said, you got to get out of here. You got to go back. It was crazy, but it gives this real side of life where it's like, yeah, this stuff is like, there's some of the crazy mystical stuff that goes on and switches in people's brains and all that stuff. But then there's the other side of it where what she was experienced where her mom was probably involved in this stuff as well and how her mom basically, it's like selling her in sex slavery kind of thing, you know? Yeah. And this stuff is very real. I, I don't think that anybody that listens to your show for sure understands that. And it's not a surprise that this kind of stuff happens. It's a shame. And I think we're still dealing with the remnants of what you would call MK Ultra, but I don't think it stopped. Like they say it stopped, I don't think it stopped. I think they just rebranded the new names, and that's what they do. They always recycle things. That's why you see their tactics never change. They just the time changes. So like, if you're a history buff, you like reading the tea leaves. All you gotta do is look backwards in time. The stuff they try now, they've tried before. It's like they lack creativity, and so it's just constant repetition of actions that these people do. And I think when it comes to MK Ultra, it's that exact thing. I think they might have rebranded the program and things like that, put a new facelift on it, but it's the same thing.
1: Yes, I agree. And on the subject of roundtables, one more thing I wanted to bring up before we spend some time on the Dogman documentary in this first hour is a roundtable you did a few years ago with four guests talking about the Hollow Earth, one of my favorite ideas, and it was very Christian-based. And you know, I don't personally think quoting biblical scripture is the best way to make the case for a big hollow inhabited cavity inside the earth but i will take what i can get very few people will talk about it at all yeah Uh, i'm curious your thoughts on what is really beneath the surface and how inhabited it might be
2: so i'm sure you get this experience the hate mail on certain topics and stuff Uh, whenever whenever i have a guest on the show that are heavily christian and i'm a christian but I approach my show where it's just like, hey, I don't care who you are. Let's talk and see where the conversation goes. So when you have two Christians, it tends to go that way more than others.
1: <laughs> I believe it.
2: Yeah. So Justin Fall, Westfall Brothers, they made this documentary. And I brought them on to talk about it. They brought some other guys and stuff. But I can't remember exactly who was all there, Chad Riley and uh, somebody else. But their motive for the documentary and the Flat Earth, or not Flat Earth, uh, we go into on that one day, right? Uh, <laughs> but Hollow Earth, their motive isn't greg it isn't maybe even greg's audience their motivation was the christian audience their efforts i think are more geared towards the christian church and exposing the christian church to the bizarre stuff that the christian church doesn't want to teach there's a lot of weird things that happen in the bible a lot of it and it just gets skipped over on sundays and most christians have no idea there's Nephilim in the Bible, that giants were more than just Goliath. Like they have no
1: idea. And that's already the edited Bible. Who knows what no, they took got, out The couple right. of times they edited it down.
2: Exactly. Just in the Old Testament, what we know, like there's a story of David and his mighty men. These dudes were like freaking X-Men and how they encountered giants and how giants that were Goliath's relatives went basically popped up here and there towards David because David killed Goliath. And like all this stuff you're not taught about because they don't want to teach you that giants existed. They don't want to teach you about the Nephilim and all that stuff. Because they run the
1: Vatican now.
2: Yes. Right. <laughs> I mean, it looks six feet deep underneath, right? right. But I think Justin and West their motivation is more towards a Christian audience to begin with. That's why it was like that. But when it comes to the hollow earth, put aside the Christian biblical references and stuff, my personal perspective is absolutely 100%. There is a logical conversation to be had without any mystical type of thought when it comes to hollow earth. It's called the mammoth cave system. It's absolutely huge. It's in Kentucky, stretches all the way up into New York. Like The earth is hollow. When you look at the idea of how big these cave systems can be, they just discovered one, I think in China, like a couple of weeks ago, there's like a giant hole in the ground that they found and like it goes 300 feet deep and there's an actual like jungle rainforest inside the earth at this point. Like the earth is so complex in itself that I personally believe the earth is hollow. I think there is a logical way to talk about this. And when you want to enter into the paranormal mystical kind of thing, yeah, I think that that could be a portal entryways into other realms i'm exploring that right now on the other project and what lives there could reptilians live there like we were talking about earlier stuff with the hole in the ground could bigfoot live there dogmen these cryptids these creatures what are they why do they come from the inner earth is it a portal that goes to their realm like i do 100 percent believe that the earth could be is hollow in a sense i guarantee you it's hollow because we do know physically there are huge cave systems that are so complex that they all haven't been explored so where do they lead to where did they go do they lead to an area that is even bigger with the china thing like and i think it was china they didn't know they had no idea that this thing was there but they discovered a whole forest ecosystem inside the earth what's in there i don't know but for me Yes, I believe the earth is definitely hollow. Now if you want to go down to the flat earth, maybe the earth is like a flat on top and bowl shape kind of thing, so it's like we get the best of both worlds. I don't know.
1: Well, what I like about the flat earth people is they focus heavily on Antarctica as well, and that's a hollow earth and flat earth thing. It seems like the key to understanding what this thing is would be in Antarctica, and that's why they have the international treaty. Countries can't agree on shit, but they can all agree that uh, that's a no-fly <laughs> zone. And in terms of what we do know about the inner surface, I mean, the moho layer is a layer beneath the mantle that is supposed to be porous like a dishwashing sponge. And it's like that's a lot of real estate in there. And when they did crash something into the moon, if they did, you know, allegedly NASA, you can't ever trust them, but it rang like a bell. There are researchers who have brought up on this show the seismic waves when they do have uh, readers who who register an earthquake. They go through one side of the earth, then there's a big gap, and then they show up on the other side as if they can't measure the waves because there's an inner cavity. Wow. And yeah, we have the inner forests that have been found. There's one in, in China that's pretty well known. There's inner oceans. And I've heard people say that if you just went out to the middle of the ocean and you scooped up a bucket of water and you analyzed it and you categorized and labeled every microbe. And everything you found in there, you would have discovered more than we even know about. And if that's true on any level, well, what's inside an inner ocean? Right. You know, how diverse is the life down there? Probably pretty crazy. And, and it definitely overlaps with Fortean tales. Yeah. There's all kinds of stuff. Like there was a story in Michael Mott's book, Caverns, Cauldrons, and Concealed Creatures, of a school teacher who was walking kids down into a cave not even that far you know keeping it safe and they ran into like giant wild men down there and it's like shit (laughs) i love
2: it that's the kind of stuff i live for man i I love these stories like it's just you know what has pot like you know what it is it's this kind of stuff that stretches your brain and it reminds you to allow yourself to let your mind wander. We did that as kids, man, like the imaginations we had as kids and wondering what life could be and getting wrapped up in the Loch Ness Monster and all that stuff. Like, And then as life goes on, you hit these different stages. You become a teenager getting involved in sports or you, the girls and you get distracted and then you graduate high school and all of a sudden it's college and partying. Then you get out of college and you're like, oh my God, I have all this debt. I got to find a job and I can't make the money. You get all this distraction when you enter into these realms with these podcasts where you hear these stories, it just stretches your brain. And it lets you start wondering like a child again, like what is possible? And then you start really start looking into it. You start listening to more of the shows and you start reading and studying it. You're like, Oh, I think I'm fairly certain this world is bizarre. And everything I thought that was true at one time, I got to start questioning again. And I love that stuff. I like it for me. I love when my show and I put out an episode that does that for other people. I love getting the emails of people saying that, you know, I started listening to your show. And it just totally changed my perspective as to what is even possible. And at the same time, provided so many answers for what I experienced in my own life. I'm just like, yeah, that's, that's gold for me.
1: Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful thing, right? I think it seems like we were both destined for mundane, middle of the road, nine to five jobs, making no, or very little impact on the world. Yeah. And look at us now, man, we're doing all right.
2: I'll tell you honestly what you just said, It's so weird because I'm a paranormal guy, paranormal podcast, right? But one of my deepest desires in life is just to have a positive impact on the world around me. It's just something that's always been part of me as a kid growing up. And it's so funny that paranormal podcasting is that route that I found fulfillment in for that desire. And it's just like, The emails that I get, like you get the hate mail and stuff, and that's just part of the process. But you get a lot of great emails from people that are just like, thank you for doing what you do and stuff. And it just, it gives you that more sense of purpose of just like, yeah, we're actually doing something that's good for the world, which is great until, you know, somebody wants to censor you. It sucks.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cheers to that. And we got to fit this into the first hour. It's the big promotional thing. It's the Dog Man documentary. Not only did it come out on my birthday, March 25th, but it was actually pretty good too. Can you tell the people what it was about this guy, Kyle's story that made you want to follow up considering the wide range of stories that you have to choose from?
2: Yeah. So Kyle had a phenomenal story, maybe not for him to go through, but for an audience to listen to. Fantastic. And the uniqueness of it was one, it wasn't too far from me. I was in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania at the time he was in Kentucky. So it was about a 10 hour drive, I'd say, but it was a very geographically based where he could take me to a location where this monster almost killed him. And he's never been back there before ever. And he was willing to take me there if I came. And at the same time, I didn't know I was starting documentaries. I was starting to try to take YouTube more serious because they, I got an email that like a week after I went full-time podcast and like, hey, guess what? We're going to monetize your channel. I'm like, oh, another revenue stream. Let's just see how it goes until they take me down. And so I started thinking about like maybe doing like an action vlog kind of thing where I film different places or whatever. That's the intent of this whole thing. What happened though was from the time I interviewed him and I said, hey, on the interview, I was like, hey, would you show me this area? And he said, yes. To the time of me going down, people came across my path that I didn't have before. Ward, my cameraman, used to a film for Glenn Beck at The Blaze. And he contacted me and we got to develop a friendship. And I'm like, hey, would you want to go on an adventure? And he's like, yeah, let's do it. And then Christian used to, has done stuff with like Discovery Channel and he's a treasure hunter and he's great with developing a storyline of a project and he wanted to come. And then Joel came and Joel is a musician. He's a member of Van Tesla and he does rap, rock, singing, all this different stuff. I'm like, dude, you want to come and hunt monsters? He's like, absolutely. I'm like, really? And he came. So we all go and it just turns into this professional documentary where I was the face of it. Obviously, I bring the audience and stuff, but these guys brought their skills and it just turned into this amazing, awesome creation. But we go down there to basically see what happens. We are going to spend a week in the Daniel Boone National Forest in the area of this attack, hunting down the dog man. And I told the guys going into it, I said, listen, guys, we're not coming down here telling people that we're going to find a dog, man. We're not going into this with any expectations. We're going into it for the experience of the experience. We're not looking to develop an experience or manufacture anything. We want to go down there, put ourselves in the environment and just see what happens. We're going to try. I brought a predator call down. I brought coyote urine down, all this stuff, but we weren't guaranteed any action and we just wanted to see what would happen. Let me rewind a little bit, I guess, and just fill the audience in with a little bit of what his story was. Kyle is around my age. I think he's 35, 36, some of like that. And when he was 15, was in Daniel Boone National Forest at night, coon hunting with his two dogs, his grandfather. His grandfather stays in the truck because his grandfather's older. So they had two-way radios so they could be in communication. The dogs take off on a scent. And shortly after you hear coyotes coming in because the dogs treat a raccoon. So Kyle follows the barking sound, and he can tell by how they're barking as to if they're on the trail of something or if they've actually treed a raccoon. They're treed a raccoon, and these coyotes start coming in, and you hear it. His grandfather said, get to the the dogs before the coyotes do, or else it's going to be a fight. It's going to be ugly. So he's booking it through the woods at night trying to get there. He doesn't get there in time. A fight breaks out, and there's two dogs of his. There was Jake and Bo. Jake was the veteran dog that everybody in the area knew about. It was the biggest dog, the best hunting dog. I mean, legendary dog. And then there was Bo, which was a training dog. So they teach their dogs how to hunt, sending them out with experienced dogs, and the dogs learn from the other dogs. Bo comes across these coyotes trying to fight them and stuff. He takes off running. So Jake's there, and he's fighting off these coyotes. And he said you could hear him coming in one at a time on Jake. And Jake was doing fine. He fights these things off. And then he said, these coyotes came in as like a pack and they came in on his dog and they were kicking the crap out of his dog. And he's trying to get there. And then all of a sudden he hears another dog come in and the fight changes. And these coyotes run off screaming and crying. And his dog, Jake, goes back to treeing this raccoon. And he comes up to Jake and he pets Jake on the head, good dog. And he hears his other dog, Bo, on the other side of the tree, chomping down on coyote." And so he goes around this tree to see his dog, Bo, and basically be like, good job, Bo. You know, he came back. But what he was greeted with on the other side wasn't Bo at all, like his assumption. He said he saw a dog on the other side of this tree that was so big that it was holding a coyote by the rib cage in its mouth. This thing was absolutely huge. And when he locked eyes with this thing, it stood up on its hind legs drops the coyote. He takes off running and this thing chased after him. Now the dramatic part of this story, I can never relay like he did because he was there in the moment and it just, people cried after hearing this story. This thing chases after him. And the only reason why Kyle survived is because Jake intervened, his dog, on three different occasions. The first time this dog, man, creature threw Jake off to the side and keeps coming out. And this happened really fast. And then Jake came back in again, and this creature just took Jake and threw him through the woods. And he said you could hear Jake busting through tree branches, crying like he was dying through the process of being thrown. And he was just like, my dog is dead, and I'm dead. And at the same time, he trips over a tree that had fallen over, and he falls over. This thing comes in on him fast. And he said it's right on top of him. He said it was so close to him that he could see down the back of its throat. That's how close it was there. And at the last second, Jake comes in again and broadsides this creature. And he gets up and runs, calling for his dog to come. But while he's calling for his dog to come, he hears this creature just tearing his dog to pieces. He could hear his dog dying as he's running away. He hits a clearing. He fires off a shot in the air. He's yelling, come on, Jake. Come on, Jake. Jake is not coming. He gets back in his truck. With his grandfather, he's like, Just go, just go, just go. And I've been to this area. It is out there, very remote. The road that they came in on is a one-lane road in the Daniel Boone. It's not like a road road. It's like a logging road almost. And his grandfather goes, he's like, Where's the dogs? And he's like, just go. He tells his grandfather what happened. And his grandfather on the way back to the house said to him, Listen, if you're gonna hunt these woods, there are things out here you can't explain. And if you can't come to grips with that, you're not gonna be a good hunter. You have to make a decision now if you can handle it or not Hmm. and he's like what the heck so his grandfather said we're going to come back out tomorrow look for the dogs and he's like listen Bo is gone and jake is dead there's no point of coming out And he said if jake did what you say jake did for you you owe it to him to come out and look for him so the next day they get up in the morning they go out looking for jake they can't find him at the end of the morning his grandfather lays his coat on the ground thinking hey listen if jake can get the scent and he's alive He'll come to the coat, and then we'll come back this evening and look for him. They go back in the evening, and they're driving around. They can't find Jake. And then they're driving down the road, and they see a dog. His grandfather's like, look, there's Bo standing on the side of the road. Get your leash and go get Bo. So he goes to get Bo, and as he gets closer, it wasn't Bo. It was actually Jake. Jake survived the attack, and he said that Jake was so torn up. You could see like the insides of him. He said his ears looked like noodles. It just like was shredded. Jesus. They take Jake home, and nobody's expecting Jake to survive fortunately for kyle uh, yeah kyle again that's a different name than what his real name is i'm just making sure i said the right one so fortunately for kyle his grandmother was like one of the women in the area that people brought their animals to like she was, wasn't a vet but she took care of animals and nursed them and stuff and she actually they wound up nursing jake back to health and he said jake was never a good hunting dog after that but he was a hunting dog he would go out hunting just never was as good or the same again and then to complete the story two weeks later Bo shows up at a shop like miles away and they called off his tag and brought the dog back over so they got both their dogs jake lived to be an old dog but this story scarred kyle to the point that kyle never went back to that area his entire life till i got there and he brought me into those woods again and he wouldn't go out there at night So when we went out there at night, we had to make sure that Kyle would bring us in during the day, show us an area. We had to get him out before it got dark and then go back in at night and do our filming and hunting and stuff. So like it was logistically complicated, but Kyle would not do it at night. And unfortunately for Kyle, we had some experiences during the day that really shook him up. Like you visibly saw Kyle's PTSD coming in and shaking him up. And, It was an experience of a lifetime. We'll be going back because there's a lot of unanswered questions, but we're not going to do that next. We're going to be doing the Skinwalker in Utah next. So, yeah.
1: Right on. Yeah, that's a great summary. I really enjoyed it. And I guess it was 15 years later you went back, but these portal areas, you know, maybe they are quite timeless. Man, we have covered a lot of ground and I'm going to cut back to the free show here you know the ending is always the promotional stuff and so i tack it on to the end that's how i edit things but i have to ask you about this weird story you told on tinfoil hat and this probably can be rolled right into a promo i think you're skilled enough to do so but apparently some guy met an entity in a cave and allowed themselves to be taken over and do work for this thing Apparently, the story goes so deep, you want to make a totally different podcast about it. And his story was told in a fictional book that you have, but you won't tell anyone yeah. what this book is. What's going on here, Tony? What the hell is that book? Oh,
2: man. Listen, uh,
1: <laughs> we got a couple more hours. <laughs> so let me
2: tell you, man. Uh, How long is that book title? <laughs> I, n- nobody. Listen, I've had people reaching out. Nobody. I am in possession of the book. The book is very real. The reason why I am protecting the book right now is because I am in communication with the author and she is terrified of what happened in that book because it's very real. And she told me it is, but the story doesn't start there, man. Like the story starts with a guy who contacted me to share with me his experiences with his friend who can do these bizarre, wild things. And it turns out that his friend, he's asking all these questions and his friend gave him the book. And he's like, just read this book. It was written about me. And he reads about his friend and all this stuff. And when I was interviewing him, he had the book and he's not thinking about protecting the book. I wasn't thinking about protecting the book at the time, but he shows me the book, physical book in his hand. And I'm like, gold, because this story was so crazy I have to pursue it if I can, as can I back up his claims? Can I find the author? Right. And so I asked him, I said, can you send me the book? And he said, yeah, he did. He sent me the book. I have the book in my possession. I, I found the author. He said, the author is a ghost online. You can't find her anywhere. I found her really quickly and turns out she's a witch. And she was actually putting up spells of protection to separate herself from anybody that is connected to that side of her life. And the guy I was talking to actually was because he was friends with the main character of the book. And so I contact the author and I'm like, listen, I just interviewed this guy. He told me all these bizarre stories of his friend who can physically change his body, grow and shrink. And he goes into these other worlds and he has his whole other life in this other world and physically comes back to this world and all this stuff. And I was like, he told me that was based off of the book. But then she said that who she wrote it off of, this guy's friend, is a schizophrenic. He's crazy. It's not true. I'm like, oh, okay. All right. That makes sense. Okay. And it's like almost for a second, my high was blown from this amazing story. And then it connected this time. I'm like, wait a second. Wait, 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 wait. The guy I'm talking to said he saw his friend do these bizarre things, like physically change. Like he saw his friend physically grow right in front of him how do you explain that? And I just said to her, so is he lying to me too or what? And at this point I have no loyalties to anybody. I just want to know what the truth is. Cause if this is really true. Like I want to dive into this. When I told her that I was expecting her to say, I don't know what that guy's talking about. He's crazy too. Right. Okay. So schizophrenic, fine. Schizophrenic, cool. But what she came back with was the exact opposite. It was like, by me saying that to her, And pursuing her about it, it like opened her up. And she's like, okay, I'm going to tell this guy. And she told me, she's like, listen, the stuff that I saw in this world. And she specifically said this world or this realm, I can't explain. And it led to the idea that there are other worlds as well. But what she saw here, she can't even explain. And she went into some details. And I said to her, I'm like, listen, would you be willing to talk to me? I told her, I said, you know, I imagine... You're not going to talk to me because she seemed like very standoffish. And she said, actually, yeah, I've tried going to counseling. I can't talk to a counselor about this stuff because it's too off the wall. They're not going to believe me. It'd be nice to talk to somebody that's not going to think I'm crazy. So literally like two days later, I'm on a Zoom call with her for two and a half hours. And she's telling me all this stuff that she experienced with him. It turns out she was closer of a friend to him than my original guest. And she was directly involved in this stuff she was closing portals and she tells me her experiences and it was not a good experience there was a lot of details in, in her experience that she told me that I can't even relate it to public because it would violate the trust she put in me Aww. um well listen a lot of good <laughs> stuff that I'm going to share right but like there's some personal things I can't but one thing that she said to me was she had put this book out as the first book she ever wrote she was still in college it was a poorly written book she actually took it off the market because of Death threats, people were trying to kill her, and so she took it off the market and so when I told her that I had a copy of it, she was kind of freaking out a little bit she 's like, "How'd you get it?" and stuff and I told her, and she 's like "Listen, i 'll do this if you can just give me that book because i don't want it out there and she thinks that there's about fifteen books still in circulation somewhere that's still out there now recently, since I was on sam 's show i've been talking with her, and it turns out she is getting scared away. She is pushing away from me. She said she's willing to answer certain questions, but the idea of appearing on my new show, even if I gave her a different name, if it's on video, blurred out kind of thing, she's not interested. She said, I'm scared. I'm not doing it. And she really kind of pushed away. So because of that though, and I don't hold any loyalties to her outside of just trying to be a good human being. Maybe in the future, I do talk about this book. More in detail as far as what it's called, at least. But as of right now, the brain trust, which is just my wife, and and she's the one I bounce things off of. My wife thinks that right now it's not an ethical thing to do. And I don't want to be that guy. But we're working on developing this whole new show. So it's hard to describe to people the absolute amazing depth of this without going through the whole story like I did on Sam's show. But we're developing this brand new podcast. The first season is going to be very focused on this storyline. How did I come in contact with it? Who am I talking to? I'm actually going to bring my original guest in studio with me here in Tennessee. We're going to, He might be part of the whole first season. And then we're going to leave the first season most likely at, okay, this is as far as we've gotten in our understanding of this. Now we need the audience help. We need you to come forward. Do you have similar experiences, this, that, and the other? Because it's very deep. What you mentioned earlier about the guy, the whole cave thing. So this character is walking through a cave system and you're going to recognize this from earlier in your, your recording with me. He's walking through a cave system and it opens up into this big room and there's a man inside that room recruiting him to work for him. And he actually accepts unlike my previous two guests. And that's where the roller coaster starts the interesting thing is there's things that I have been able to verify. So I found this guy's Instagram account and on his Instagram, he has things, pictures in his home that if you're just passing by, you don't know anything. You're just like, Oh, it's art, but it's not. I can see it's a direct correlation to something that was read in the book. Now I didn't read the book. My wife read it because she reads faster than me, better than me. She's my reader, but it was like, oh crap, he's very much involved in it still, even though he said he's walking away from it. If I reach out to him, which I think I'm going to at some point, I think I'm going to introduce myself to him like, listen, man, uh, (laughs) we need to talk. It's interesting because I got two different perspectives here. My original guest, he told me that he thinks that if I reach out, it's going to scare him away because he just had, he's starting a family, you know, just had a kid and stuff. And he thinks that he doesn't want anything to do with it because that's what he told him. He's like, "I don't want anything to do with it. Leave me alone about it, kind of thing, you know." But then, when I talked to the author, she said he's so egotistical. If I approach him about it, if he did step away from it, he is going to be encouraged to jump back into it. And I don't know, but it it, it, it turns out that this guy, he has the ability through the dream state, but also in the alert physical state, leave here and go to another realm, another world. So if he does it through the dream state, his body's physically here, but he's somewhere else, which we've talked about that on my show. And People are unfamiliar with the idea of astral projection and things like that. But this is a little bit more because he's actually going to another world. And there are beings in that world that are familiar with him and they pick up where he left off. And, and there's Nephilim in this world and it's very deep. But then with the physical side, He literally can now, like at a moment's notice, leave this world and go somewhere else. But there's an exchange that happens. And there's a being in the other world that has to come here and replace him. And when that happens, his physical body changes here into the being that replaces him. It kind of looks like him, but he winds up getting taller. And I think his... Features change a little bit, but the character is what changes the most. Like he's inches taller, but his character is completely different when this happens. And so there's a lot of people that would hear that and that maybe come from more of a demonic thought process. And like, well, he's getting possessed and he's physically changing from the demon. Maybe, or maybe he's actually accessing other worlds and maybe he's actually doing what he's saying he's doing. Because the guest that I had brought on originally told me this isn't just his friend that this is happening to. It happened to his girlfriend where she was approached by an entity and also his brother. So my guest's brother was approached by an entity and also accepted. And his brother thought that this was just a bizarre dream. And so his brother tells him this stuff and his brother has no idea who his friend is. And so it's like this whole intertwine of people. And I have on my show, a couple guests who have said these exact things before I even knew this story. I have had guests who said they were walking through a cave system. It opens up into a room and there's a person recruiting them to work for them. Like this is something that has happened on my show before I came across this story. And to kind of just wrap everything up real quick here for anybody who's like, well, then these people heard your show, created a story to pull your leg or to create this masterful story for your show to get attention or something about the book. It's impossible because i have the book and the copyright date on the book is 2012. so my show didn't come into existence till 2017. Hmm. so this story existed before my show existed so listen i i wish i could spend two hours telling from front to back the whole story but just listen anybody who's interested in this story that wants to know more just stay tuned i mean Go to the Confessionals podcast and hit subscribe. But uh, when I do come out with this new podcast, you'll know about it by subscribing because I'll be announcing, hey, I'm dropping this new podcast. You don't want to miss it. And I'll, I'll probably make my rounds and talk about it on other people's shows and stuff. But this is going to be a podcast that could possibly turn into a docu-series with documentaries that we're doing. But I believe it is going to be groundbreaking It's going to really change the way people view the world around them on all face, all perspectives of how you think everything works. I think it's going to be that groundbreaking. And I think it's going to be 10 times bigger than the confessionals ever could possibly be as far as attention goes. I think this is going to be something that is just absolutely huge. So we'll see. (laughs) Or maybe it's going to be a dud and nobody
1: cares. You know, who knows? Hey, it's a hell of a pitch. I like it. I'm, I'm psyched. I'm hooked. Now, let me ask you this. Is the the woman who wrote the book, is her first initial, by chance, a K? No. Okay. Okay. There was a time, long time ago, maybe 10 years at this point, that uh, I inqu- a woman actually was like, hey, you like inner earth stories. Well, I wrote a book, uh, and it contains a lot of stuff that's never been talked about anywhere, and it is all true. And she sent me the book, and it was... Not even a real published copy. It was more like a manuscript, but it was well put together and highly readable. And then the day before our interview, she was like, I don't know how someone knows I was going to do an interview, but I have been warned to back off and my family's too important to me and I am not going to talk about the book. And when I heard you talk about this on Tinfoil Head, I was like, hmm, maybe it could be the same person. And when you said it was a female author, I was like, hmm, now I'm really kind of interested. And uh, <laughs> I so I went back in my email and I was like trying to refresh my memory on this. And I still have the email. I've got her name. I still have the book. And I uh, clicked the link to her website in her signature and her website's gone now. So uh, I don't know what happened. Maybe she should have talked to me about that book. Wow. There's safety in being out there. So they say, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I'll tell you what, man, with that. I don't
2: even think I mentioned this on, on Sam's show. So I'm in constant communication with my original guest and he and I are talking and he told me, and I, you probably heard of this. I don't even know how to pronounce it. I had to educate myself. Apparently it's really popular. I just, I mean, I'm stupid. The Voynich manuscripts. Oh yeah. Are you familiar? Some people say Vonic,
1: yeah. but yeah, absolutely. Vonick.
2: Okay. Got it. See, I I didn't know how to pronounce. So the Vonick manuscript, he said his friend told him actually came from this world that his friend goes to. Interesting.
1: Um, Interesting. Yes, that is a a great famous mystery. It is a parchment that has, uh, you know, writing on it. And it is in a strange language no one recognizes. And some analysts who have tried to decode it think that it is a kind of an herbology book, some kind of like library or encyclopedia of certain herbs and stuff, but a lot of it isn't recognized. And the last time that was brought up on this show was when Dr. Stephen Skinner, who is a really academic guy who translates grimoires and ancient magical texts, he was taking a stab at it. And I think that they've released their analysis i haven't read it i just know that it's out there he's the guy who basically told me all you know just those cliff notes right there but to think that it could be a book about herbs from another world i'm interested
2: yeah (laughs) i'm I'm interested in all this stuff man like when you operate your life off the basis of i believe the world's very strange and i'm never going to understand it like the, just that operation, like, I'm just like, dude, let's just pursue it and see what happens. Amen. And man, I just have so much fun doing this stuff. I, I I apologize to the audience who maybe is tired of hearing my raspy voice. I'm in, I'm in East Tennessee and I'm still trying to get used to the allergies around here. So <laughs> I'm losing my voice, but
1: <laughs> yeah, that's another reason I could never go there. Allergies. They say the same thing about hill country and near Austin, Texas. They call it cedar fever because they have a special tree there that produces so much pollen. It really fucks people up. Even people have never had allergies before. So I can't invest in a five acre homestead and then never be able to breathe right again. Uh, These are the problems that I deal with.
2: They say that the local honey solves the whole issue. And so next year I plan on making sure I have the local honey. And they said that the honey just, it will help your allergies so much. So I made the mistake. I have over an acre and it was very rocky. And so I wasn't sure where the rocks were. And I had in three weeks, I had gotten about three feet high. Things grow like crazy here. And so instead of mowing over and destroying my mower, I weed whacked the whole thing. And I disturbed all that pollen and I was just breathing it in and it just jacked me up for a few weeks.
1: God, our grandfathers would just laugh and mock our (laughs) silly weakness but it is the reality uh but man this has been a lot of fun real pleasure to talk to you i'm glad we could connect before i cut you loose tell the people about the other stuff you got out there extra projects they should know about you know the deal
2: yeah so the confessionals podcast is the main gig for me where i interview people on their paranormal weird bizarre experiences military that have bizarre experiences all that stuff And then outside of that, I had started Merkle Media. Originally, it was just supposed to be a company where I, it's like an LLC that I was producing other people's podcasts. Like I know you're familiar with Charlie Robinson from Macroaggressions. I produced that podcast and it turned into, hey, what else can we do? And so now I'm doing documentaries in a very high level way, but I'm also looking to pursue kids' cartoons, comic books. I'm a big fan of Tim Pool. And he talks a lot about trying to develop culture. And I'm just thinking, you know what, listen, I'm in a very unique position that most people aren't in, where I'm a full-time podcaster, I create content. Let me see if I can help create culture as well. And so I got a four-year-old, a four-and-a-half-year-old, and a one-and-a-half-year-old. And and I want to create things that, that I feel as a parent, I could put in front of my kids and they could consume and enjoy. So I really want to start a kids' cartoon, but I don't really have the resources yet. Like especially I have access to plenty of artists, but when it comes to somebody who knows how to animate that, that's the difficulty. But we're probably gonna be working on doing some comic books based off of episodes like Kyle's episode 335 Dog versus Dog Man. I'm also working on turning certain episodes into books So yeah, Merkle Media is up and coming. We're going to be doing a lot of different things. Right now, we're really focused on the documentaries, but moving forward, we're going to be doing trying to do a lot of stuff, even even music. Like we're going to be trying to put out some music and stuff too.
1: (laughs) Damn. Wow. You make me feel like I should be doing way more, (laughs) but I appreciate your work ethic.
2: Listen, I don't expect everything to hit. I don't expect to be successful at everything. I just don't like laying down thinking I'm not trying my hardest, you know? Mm. So I'm just, I just got to go because I I have these dreams, these passions, desires, and I just act on them because I literally feel guilty if I don't. Like I feel like I'm not trying my hardest at life. So like my wife keeps telling me, how much are you going to put on your plate? I'm like, I don't really view it that way. I just view it as pursuing fun things. And as long as I'm having fun, it's not really work. So it is what it is.
1: Yeah. I got to adopt that attitude a bit more. But You got a great show, man. It was also fun talking shop with you before we started recording. I got to drinking a little drink and smoking a little smoke and probably why I got so chatty in this one for better (laughs) or worse. But I'm glad we could go over some of these stories that we talked about. We barely scratched the surface because you have over 400 episodes speaking of that work ethic. But keep up the great work, man, and maybe I'll get to join you in the field sometime.
2: Uh, You're more than welcome, my friend, and uh, we'll have to have you come on my show to talk about some spooky experiences you've had.
1: Cheers. I like it. Have a going, man. All right. Oh, man. (laughs) Yes. Good times. Tony and I definitely got to talk and shop for a long time before we got started, and that gave me plenty of time to indulge in my indulgences and get quite a bit more chatty and casual than usual. So clearly I had a good time. I hope you did too. Most of my guests aren't podcasters or even peers, so when it happens, it is fun to pregame and compare notes about how they're doing things and what systems they use because I really work in isolation here. But content-wise, I was still jazzed up from Dr. Greg Little and couldn't help but inject all of that into this one too. And these are fun stories to talk about. And Tony's show is built around a great premise. Getting these personal stories from experiencers firsthand that don't really have anywhere else to tell their stories. As opposed to researchers making their rounds on a bunch of different shows. So you are bound to hear stuff you probably haven't heard. I tried to pull out a lot of the stories that defy categorization. It's not a ghost story. It's not a Bigfoot encounter. These are weird things happening. Sometimes it involves corporations. Sometimes it involves secret government missions to recover Enochian-covered crafts, and then a time glitch happens. But he does a really great job curating the stories so they stay weird and interesting. What we talked about today is really just a sampling, but we did fit in quite a bit. But when you try to get at what's going on, it's like, are cryptids and all these paranormal encounters just aspects of a single type of thing? Part of me thinks so. These occurrences are rare enough that the more you try to conclude that it's a bunch of different separate sources, the clunkier model you end up with. But plasma-facilitated, multidimensional bleedover aspects of the spiritual-slash-imaginal realm crossing over, in most cases, it sounds right to me. I'm reminded of the daimonic reality work of Patrick Harper, and I find his work blended with Dr. Greg Littles is about the best model that I've found so far. Of course, if you have stories of your own, reach out to Tony or leave me a message on the THC voicemail, and I'll include it in the next joint session. The more stories we can share, the closer we can get to an understanding. I will say, though, when you hear the matter-of-fact way that indigenous people talk about paranormal experiences, it's easy to feel like our own natural state and natural environment have become so foreign to us city folks that it's partly why we have such a hard time dealing with the extremes of natural experience. We have tuned into a largely artificial frequency of morning commute, eight hours of whatever, drive home, veg out, rinse, repeat. When was the last time your bare feet even touched dirt, or you ate something that didn't have a wrapper or a barcode on it, or you spent a night outside without some audio-visual distraction? In some cases, it's got to be years. So how are we even going to start to wrap our heads around the mysteries of the deep woods when we don't even engage? (laughs) Who the hell knows? But Tony's Dogman documentary is definitely well-produced. It certainly shows just how much land is really out there. As I mentioned, doing these features is a road I started to go down in the early days and quickly realized that the chances that I'm going to blow the lid off something or catch that thing that's the smoking gun footage are pretty low. And the hours you have to invest just to try felt a bit too costly to me also. You guys know me, I pretty much stick to my lane. <laughs> I like Tony's energy, though. He's clearly very motivated to try all sorts of things, and that's inspiring for me to see and makes me want to find a way to branch out more as well. Just because I've put myself in a position to be able to, so I should have more fun with it. But that is why I'm just a few days from driving out to Austin for a joint meetup with Gordon and the Rune Soup crew, and then who knows what's next. As always, as fun as the first hour was, we added a lot of other stories in the second. Sign up at thehiresidechats.com, cash, card, crypto, or PayPal via the Patreon, and all your wildest dreams will come true. In this show, we talked about Kentucky weirdness, the meat shower incident, and occult activity, live modern-day giant encounters from Tony's interviews, exploring Antarctica, Tony's pitch for me to move to Tennessee... (laughs) You know, growing a food forest, that's amazing. I am always looking at properties and land in a couple of different areas that me and my wife would want to live. And so often I see a house on five flat dead acres of dirt, mainly in Colorado is where I'm seeing this. And it boggles my mind that these previous owners don't have like 30 fruit trees just in a back corner somewhere. Like, what are you doing? Why did you want this land just to be separate from everybody? Don't you want it to cultivate some kind of abundance for yourself? But whatever. (laughs) We also talked about ritual magic, spirits in the paranormal, the mysterious egress industries. That was a wild story. And the 20 and back program. All good stuff. There are a few odd stories around the 20 and back program, but because of David Wilcock and Corey Good and their behavior, it just made me doubt the whole angle of things. Plus, my mind always goes to, why not just kill the slave labor that you pluck out of their beds in the middle of the night and then use for 20 years? What is this thing about putting them back where they were and letting them live a full life with all these memories of two decades in service on Mars? Anyway, as for other meetups besides the Austin one, let's see what we got on the calendar at HiresideMeetups.com. June 22nd, just a couple days, we got the Milwaukee Metaphysical Society meetup at the Beer Store in Milwaukee, Oregon. Seems like a good time. And then two days later, June 24th, we got the Nashville Higher Cider Happy Hour. It looks like that's a regular event. Going down at Tailgate Brewery in Nashville, Tennessee. How appropriate for this episode. And the next one I see is July 6th, the Seattle THC Inquisition, another recurring event at the Central Cafe in Seattle, Washington. So check those out. Those are the next three I see. If you want to have a meetup in your area, if you're feeling a little lonely, if you just feel like you're the black sheep of your social circle, well, meet the other black sheep. Totally free and fun. It's a great way to expand your network and meet like-minded people. Hopefully, I see some of you in Austin this upcoming weekend. But that's the show. Tony is a fun guy. Glad we got to know each other. A lot of people have told me that for the past maybe two years, the paranormal side of THC has been lacking and the conspiracy side has been quite dominant. But what do you want me to do when pretty much every conspiratorial theme we've talked about for a decade has all come true in just a few short years? At the same time, though, it's good to take a breather and get back to some good, old, unexplainable mystery. Yeah, big thanks to Tony. Maybe I'll get out in the field with him sometime, but until then, I'm getting out of here. I've done my part. Your move, mysterious monsters, underground reptilians, and paranormal plasma beans. Your fucking move.
3: When you see weird lights outside of your door. Something sits on your chest when you sleep It might be a pattern you've been through before Mm -hmm. Or you might have those screen memories Darling, wait till we get some proof My memories fade But we know that it's not just a dream Cause they never put me back Exactly the same way
1: Is another show complete remember as much as you enjoyed this which is just the free first hour i hope you'll become a plus member to hear the full two-hour interviews you also can engage with other plus members in the comments and the forums and you'll find your answer to one of the most common questions i get which is where can i find those cover songs that you use at the end of the show well they are free downloads for plus members too And without plus members, I can't hire the occasional musician to bring these odd cover song ideas to fruition. Plus members are how I'm able to do what I do without ads and without the big machine being on my back. We can fit so much more into a two hour interview and I do my best to make it worth your time and money. The conversation only gets deeper, weirder, and more controversial in that private hour. How could it not the way things are going? But the best way to sign up is at thehiresidechats.com where new first-time subscribers always get a free seven-day trial because i'm just that confident there's no paypal on the website but if you need to use paypal then sign up through patreon and you get all the same episodes our website is a credit or debit system but you can also scope out the other options like a few various cryptos cash or check mailed to the p.o box And I'll even barter with most people if you have your own business and produce something nice that my wife or kid or taste buds might like. But the architects of consensus reality have made it clear that these themes and topics aren't really welcome on the main stage. And so this is how we secure a little counterculture corner for ourselves. And I hope you'll join plus because that is the only way it works. Besides, you can cancel anytime, right on your profile page. The most common concern I hear is people just being unsure if THC Plus will work with their podcast app, and the answer is probably yes. But if not, we have several high-level app recommendations for whatever phone you use, and the website is made for mobile too. We're trained to tip a waitress for bringing us a sandwich, but that tip doesn't give you access to a second sandwich. Really, I'm not asking for any more than that, and I think I offer a better service. Come get your second serving of tasty conspiracy goodness in exchange for that small token of your appreciation. Beyond that, let it also be known that we have grown and survived as long as we have by word of mouth. I don't care so much about social media likes or follows, but tell the right people about THC. And not just listeners, but the high level figures who are better suited to sit down with me than most other hosts. And if you can help me with any of these things, I can work to bring you better shows, which is just a win-win for both of us. Informative, entertaining, and action-packed. It also never hurts to thank a guest you liked if you have the time either. We want them to know people are listening, so they're willing to come back down the road too. Thank you for spending some time with me, and cheers to a better tomorrow.